Today is the uh, eighth day of Tevet, and actually today is my grandmother Gittel's yard site, my paternal grandmother's yard site. I'm going to dedicate uh, this class in her memory. And uh, normally, it would be last week that we did the Rosh Chodesh class, the Rosh Chodesh energy, but last week was the eighth day of Hanukkah, so. Uh, I uh, didn't give a class so people could spend time with their family. So we're going to make up for it. And instead of running a Garden of Amuna class tonight, we're going to run a Rosh Chodesh Energy and a Rosh Chodesh Tevis. Uh, last year, if you guys uh, remember or you want to look it up in that soundcloud.com uh, um, library, uh, you'll see over there it was called Body Heat. And today's title for the month of Tevis is called Let's Get Physical. And let's talk about why. Why these type of names for this type of month? And because our sages tell us about this month, the month of Tevet, which is uh, the month of coldness. It's cold. It's winter. So our sages tell us that in this month, guf nena mahaguf, the body receives enjoyment from the body. Simply speaking, simple language, what the Talmud's talking about, that in the olden days, this was... Uh, married couples, this would be the time of year where just physically, because it's so cold, they would uh, enjoy body heat. That's what the simple Talmud's telling us. According to Kabbalah, it's a whole different level. Kabbalah talks about guf, the body, ishtabad bi gufa de malka. It becomes one with the body of the king. King over here means capital K, and that refers to God. What exactly does it mean that God has a body? Um, I'll just give you a teaching from the Zohar. It says the 248 mitzvot are the 248 limbs of the king. And we find the Torah has, it's called, the Torah has the form of a body. Also because the Torah has 248 mitzvahs, which is the 248 organs. Uh, not limbs, actually organs. And then you have the 365 prohibitions, which is the 365 sinews. And that's the way we talk about it. So there is the body of the Torah, which is the reflection of the body, quote-unquote, of God. And that's what this is all about on a Kabbalistic level, the Jewish body becoming one with the body of the king. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. But before that, I'd like to back up. I'd like to read to you. This book right here is the first book the Rebbe ever wrote. The Rebbe, blessed memory, was commissioned by his father-in-law in 1943 to write a book that every single day would carry a message for that day. This message that I'm going to read to you right now is for no other day than actually Erev Rosh Hashanah. The 29th day of Elul, Erev Rosh Hashanah, this is what the Rebbe chose for that day, a teaching from the Alter Rebbe. Let me read it to you. From the Alter Rebbe's aphorism, we have absolutely no conception how precious to God is the body of a Jew. That's the teaching that we meditate on on the day before Rosh Hashanah. How precious, we have absolutely no concept how precious to God is the body of a Jew. Now this comes as a shock because most of us are familiar with the teachings that the body is the hindrance, the body is what is the source of all physical pleasure, it's the source of all distractions, it's the source of egotistical center. So 
why all of a sudden Erev Rosh Hashanah are we flipping the coin and saying how precious the body of the Jew is? Normally we know that throughout history, our greatest sages, you find stories how they fasted, how they used to roll in snow, how they used to roll in anthills, all to diminish the focus of the body being the center of their life. Because the minute the body became the center of the life, it was very difficult to step away from the egocentric self and think about the theocentric self. And therefore, everything that's ever gotten into the way, from laziness to apathy to passion to, to whatever it is, to pleasure, always comes from the body. And therefore, the job of the Jew is always to go ahead and diminish the body. Diminish the body in value, diminish it in its preciousness, and teach yourself that it's okay. The body is nothing more than a borrowed leased car that we, we get when we're born, we return when we die, and that's not where it begins, it's not where it ends, it's not our identity, and so forth and so on. In chapter uh, Tanya, he talks about in chapter 31, which then leads into the famous chapter 32 about loving your fellow Jew. In chapter 31, he focuses upon that. He focuses that the only way, the only way to be able to serve God, truly serve God, is when you diminish the identity of your body. And he says over there the words that you make your body the side dish and your soul and spirituality the main dish. That's the only way to be able to truly serve God. If you don't make your body the side dish, nothing more than a vehicle that allows your soul to express itself, then you will not be focused on serving God. In the world of Musr, that goes without say, the body is a filthy vessel and yada yada. And so all of a sudden, Erev Rosh Hashanah, the Rebbe flips the coin on us. We have no idea how precious the body is. I want to first take this on a Kabbalistic little trip. And then we're going to take it into a practical trip. When we talk about the power of God, our sages, the sages of Kabbalah tell us that the defining line between that which only the Creator can do and creation cannot do is to create something from nothing. That is, in the terms of Kabbalah, only Bechik Habayda. It's only in the bosom of Creator. You know, they tell this uh, joke about how the scientists got together and they told God that uh, we're now equal with you. We know how to create something from nothing. We know how to create a human being. And God said, okay, let's see. So there went out eight people with the long white robes. They go to the beach, start collecting sand and start molding. And all of a sudden they hear a heavenly cough. <coughs> Excuse me mind getting your own sand? Because humans can only create something from something. And when you create something from something, according to the teaching of Nachmanides, on the very second word of the Torah, which is Bereshit, bara, created. Nachmanides says that in Hebrew there's many different words. This koneh, God acquired, God formed, God did. But the word bara, created, only belongs in the arena of ex nihilo, Latin for something from nothing. But when you take something from something, you're not creating, you're forming. When you change the properties of something that was already existing, you haven't created something new. You cannot create something new when it's something out of something. 
because what's new is only its form, its shape, its properties, not its very essence. And thus creation can only be something from nothing, not something from something. Human beings cannot do that. Not even with the ancient dark arts of black magic, which by the way, in Torah, it does exist. If Torah says that practicing black magic is punishable by death, we're not talking about optical illusions. There is no punishment of death for optical illusions. So in the Torah, you clearly have verses, and then when you study the commentaries, you realize what black magic is. Black magic is, once again, the power of using certain demonic forces to change something to something. That's why you remember in the story of Passover, when it came to the uh, plague of lice, all of a sudden the verse says that the sorcerers of Pharaoh told Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Because lice is too small of a creature to be able to use dark magic, to use demonic forces to create and change and so forth and so on. So forget about just ex nihilo, even ex ex, even something from something cannot exist smaller than the size of, size of a bean. And what I'm trying to get to is that where is the ultimate expression of God's power, according to our sages, is in creating something from nothing, not something from something. People, I'm sure you've all dabbled enough with Kabbalah, today's day and age, everyone has his experience or her experience or fleeting experience or whatever it may be uh, with Kabbalah. And anyone who's dabbled with the, with the world of Kabbalah usually knows this one word. It's like the 101 of Kabbalah. And when you can say this word and in the Hebrew, it means that you're a whole big Kabbalist. And what is that word? Tzimtzum. What does the word Tzimtzum mean? The word Tzimtzum means contraction. Whenever we talk about creation, whenever we talk about and God created, in Kabbalah, anyone that knows anything Kabbalah will tell you, creation begins with symptom, symptom contraction. Let's define the word contraction. What does the word contraction mean? So we quote the famous teaching of the famous Kabbalistic book that in the beginning there was God and his name, which means his infinite light, and he and his name was everywhere. And then God contracted his infinite light. And in the world of Kabbalah, that means a reversal of the shine. It didn't shine outward, it shined inward. And once he did that to the infinite light, that the infinite light did not shine outward no more. It created a void of the infinite light. And once you have a void of the infinite light, you can introduce the finite light. And once you can introduce the finite light, you now can begin the process of creating from the infinite to the finite. That's just that whole secret of Tzimtzum in three sentences. However, if we're dealing with the word contraction, we cannot be talking about creation. Because contraction is a process that is done to that which already existed. It's not something out of nothing. Anything spiritual cannot be created. It's not created something from nothing. On the contrary, the process we spoke about was contraction. Contraction means to take the great big infinite light and contract it. So the definition of creation cannot be talking about 
spirituality. Thus, if we follow this train of thought, the ultimate power of God does not express itself in your soul because your soul is spiritual. Therefore, if you learn the science of Kabbalah, you will understand that everything is contraction, concealment, curtain, whatever you want to call it, all the different levels there is there. And that's what makes the light smaller and smaller and smaller. The infinite becomes the 10, and the 10 itself are 10 infinite, and that itself has to go through the process and process and process. We go through the world of Atzilut, which on one hand, the fact that we call it a world. In Hebrew, the word Olam means world. Olam also means Helem, concealment. Already, it's very low down the pole. And then on top of that, there's the 10, the number 10, not 9 and not 11. So already we have a finite number to the infinite lights. And then from there goes the next level of Tzimtzum, which separates the world of Atzilut from the next three worlds, which is creation, formation, and action doing. But be it as it may, that entire process from point A of spirituality, where we talk about the infinite light, the way it exists within the source, all the way down to the lowest level of spirituality, which would be the ten spiritual emanations of the world of the spiritual world of action. The spiritual world of action. Asiya Haruchni. By definition, it's all spiritual. What led from point A to point B to point Z is contraction. Contraction is not creation. Contraction is Divide, 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 cover, divide, weaken, divide. However, you can never cut a piece of spirituality so tiny that voila, we have physical. He just can't do that. You can't contract the spiritual into the physical. I mean, in physically speaking, just to give you a picture of what that would look like, you know when you cook and you cook and you cook and you cook and you cook water and then you find kernels of sand? That's because every creation is made up of all four elements. So even in water you have the element of earth. So imagine trying to do that. We're going to cook and process and subdivide and conceal and contract spirituality until we find kernels in the pot of physical. That will never happen. Because physical is the only place where the ultimate power of God really expresses itself. And that is, as I told you, creating something from nothing. This was not the process of symptom. It was not the process of concealment. It was not the entire evolution that you learn about in Kabbalah, the entire evolution from the infinite to the finite, does not lead you to physical. It's a total different track. And that's why the spiritual process of evolution from the infinite to the finite begins with the light, the infinite light within the source, and ends with the lowest levels of the ten emanations of the lowest world, spiritual. However, physical does not begin with the infinite light, even as it 
stands within its source. Physical begins with the source. Spiritual does not. Which means that what part of you is the ultimate expression of God's power, which is the defining separating line between God and us, creator and creations, is actually your physical body and not your spiritual soul. And we go back to the day before Rosh Hashanah, the meditation that the Rebbe gives us to be able to set ourselves appropriately for Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is what? Rosh Hashanah is a celebration of creation. There is no other meditation that would serve the purpose of preparing for that day than the exact meditation that the Rebbe Blessed Memory gives us. We have no concept how precious to God is the body of the Jew. Let's take it a step further in Kabbalah. The minute you begin messing with the infinite light, it's a degradation. We sit here and fantasize and meditate and yearn for the spiritual worlds because we feel that we are the ultimate degradation in a place where atheism can exist that must be the lowest of the lowest. Imagine a piece of God telling God that you don't exist. What could be lower than that? If God is everything and everything is God, so a creation telling God that you don't exist, I don't believe in you, is a piece of God telling God you, don't you just don't exist. So to us, the physical world, which is the only place where atheism can exist, is the lowest degradation that could exist. And yet you're about to hear right now that quite the contrary. Spiritual worlds must be a degradation to God. Because a spiritual world, as great as it may be, was brought about through the concept of contraction. Contraction means that the byproduct of contraction must be a degradation to the infinite light before it was contracted. Simple mathematics here. The infinite light, the way it was in the source, is the greatest state of the infinite light. The minute it leaves the source, level degradation number one. Stop messing with it, contract it, and conceal it. That's degradation after degradation. The outcome of the process is going to be a miniature light of the great light. That's a degradation. We were at level A, we're now at level W. Obviously, that's a degradation to God. That's a degradation to God's infinite light. Look what we did to it. We contracted it, we concealed it. It now fits into things. So spirituality is actually a degradation to God. Because it's the process of symptom, contraction, concealment. However, only the physical, only the physical, is the actual creation ex nihilo which reflects the essence of God. Thus, the only place where there is no degradation to God is in the physical. By the way, that is the Kabbalistic interpretation to the Mishnah 
Balkorcha atachai. Against your will, you live. But how can a soul be forced down here? That's against all the rules. So the Kabbalistic definition of the word forced is that you show the soul that you are a ray of a ray of a ray. That's who you really are. Now give a look at that body and you'll see the essence of the source. Obviously, the soul comes down. That's also another thing. Why is it that once a person leaves this world, there is no teshuvah? You cannot do teshuvah once you die. Then the process from going from stained to cleansed, from evil to good, from impure to holy, is a painful process. While a minute before you die, Gafin, not you, a minute before a person dies, we have the famous story, Rabelezer ben Dordaya, he was with every woman of ill repute possible. He met this one woman, something happened, the woman made a comment about it, basically saying that you are lost forever. For some reason that hit him like a bomb, right there and then he put his head between his knees, started crying hysterically until his soul left his body, a heavenly voice came out and said, Rabbi ben Derdaya entered into the world to come. Rebbe, the famous Rebbe, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, the composer of the Mishnah, the offspring of the great Rabbi Gamaliel, he went and he cried and he said, Rejoice he who bought his entire world to come in one moment. This man who lived the horrible life, the moment before he died, he did teshuva and everything was wiped away. That can only happen in this world. Once a person dies, that can't happen. That's why when a person dies, he or she needs their offspring to say Kaddish, to give charity, to learn Mishnayis. Because things have to come from this world, not that world. Why? Because the power of teshuva can only exist within the essence. Because within the essence, light and darkness can coexist. If it can coexist, I can jump train, go from track A to track B like that. To quote the Talmud, in one, in one blink of an eye, I can do teshuva and go from evil to good. That can only take place in the essence where evil and good coexist. Because in the face of essence, everything coexists. Once we enter into the world of ray, not essence, i.e., once we leave the physical and go into the spiritual, there is no coexisting between darkness and light, between evil and goodness, between pure and impure. So the process to go from track A to track B is a long, painful journey for the soul. That is why our sages teach us, better one moment in this world of teshuva and good deeds than the entire world to come. Because the entire world to come is the bliss of the ray of divinity. While in this world, it's the essence. And that's why this is the center of the universe. Not just center because of its quantity greatness in face of the spiritual, but it is the center in qualitatively 
because this is the only place in the universe, and I say universe in all the spiritual galaxies, this is the only place where the essence expresses itself. Anything other than the physical body, the physicality, we're dealing with ray, we're dealing with a degradation and a contraction of the ray, and therefore it cannot be the essence, it cannot be the glory of God. So what we're hearing here tonight is, contrary to everything we've learned in our Jewish way of thinking, all of a sudden, Hayom Yom flips everything over on the moment before Rosh Hashanah and lets you know that we have no concept of how precious the physical body of a Jew is to God. Not the meditation of the soul, not the meditation of spirituality, not focusing on how lowly, crass, and degradation the physical body is, quite the contrary. Because once you want to deal with the essence, there is no way to get to the essence through the soul. The essence you get through the body. And by the way, that is why atheism can only exist in the physical. Because spiritual cannot fathom that which it is not. No one can ultimately fathom that which it is, it is not. Because the spiritual comes from the light and the light comes from the source, spiritual does not have this notion that something can exist from nothing. If it exists, it must have a source. It is the greatest proof that its source exists. The light is the greatest proof that there's a source of light. Only the physical that comes from the essence, when we talk about the essence of God, the essence of God has no source. It is because it is. Therefore, the physical realm can fathom such a concept that the fact that I exist does not mean that I have a source. Because its source is the essence and the essence has no source. So the physical is the only place where we can have the ultimate essence connection with God. So putting things in perspective, the body, the body is what's precious to God. One last note on the Kabbalistic level, and that is why there's an amazing teaching there's an argument, who was the first Jew? Most children learn in Cheder that the first Jew was Avraham Avinu, Patriarch Abraham. The Talmud is not so sure. The Talmud has an argument. Was Abraham a Jew? One opinion says Abraham was the first Jew. The other opinion says no. Mount Sinai was a mass conversion, and that was the first time Jew existed. Comes along Hasidus, built on the famous teaching of our sages that whenever there's an argument there is no right and wrong in Torah it's right and right it just depends at what avenue we're looking at so it explains the argument between the two opinions is the difference between the spiritual and the physical if we talk about the spiritual soul Abraham was the first Jew so if we're defining a Jew by soul then Abraham was a Jew. 
However, if you're defining Judaism from the physical body point of view, guys, there's laws. There's laws about the Jewish body. You're not allowed to have a tattoo. You have to be buried in a certain way. You're not allowed to be cremated. How the burial has to take place. The preparation for the funeral of the physical body. That's because the body is a Jewish body. It's not just about the Jew because he or she has a soul. But together with he or she having a soul, the physical body is the body of a Jew. If you're talking about the body of a Jew, then Abraham wasn't a Jew. The beginning of the Jewish people was the mass conversion that took place at the foot of Mount Sinai. Before that, there was no halacha of a physical Jew. It was a spiritual experience. Which leads us to the Kabbalistic interpretation of that prayer that we sing, the Rebbe's famous song, one of the songs that the Rebbe taught us that we sing every single holiday. You have chosen us from amongst all nations. And Hasidus and Kabbalah explains that you cannot choose between water and orange juice because that will be a process of intellect, a process of emotions, but not the process of free choice. So I want a cup of water because it's healthy. I want a cup of soda because I need some caffeine right now. That's not choosing. I didn't choose water. Choosing in Kabbalah, the ultimate definition of choosing is a lottery system. That's why Purim is so powerful amongst the Jewish people. Because it was all about a lottery. A lottery means there was no emotional, physical, intellectual, spiritual push to either way. It was the ultimate freedom of choice. Why am I sharing this with you? Because according to Kabbalah, God never chose the soul of a Jew. Because when it comes to spirituality, they're not identical. If our spiritual soul is not identical to the spark of God within Gentiles, then there is no free choice. It's an intellectual or emotional or practical process of elimination. The only place where choice can exist is we have two things that are exactly the same. There's absolutely no reason on any dimension to choose one over the other, and yet I chose this and not that. That only exists within the body. The body of a Jew is identical to the body of a Gentile. And therefore what you're hearing is that the deepest connection between a Jew and God, God and a Jew, is not the soul. Because the deepest connection must be one that has no rhyme or reason. It is because it is, without any logic, without any emotional push. That exists only in the body of a Jew. Thus the deepest connection, which is that of you have freely chosen us for no other reason than you have chosen us, does not exist with the soul. It's logical that God chose the Jewish soul. But when it comes to the body, the body of a Jew, which is absolutely no different than the body of any other human being, and here we say that no, the Jew has a certain law, you're not allowed to cremate the body, you're not allowed to tattoo the body, so forth and so on, because God chose the body. So once again we're going to see, A, 
The ultimate expression of the essence is in the physical, not in the spiritual. And therefore, even in the Jewish relationship with God, the ultimate relationship is not between God and our soul. It is between God and our body. Because that's where God freely chose this nation as a chosen nation. So what I presented to you thus far is that not only isn't the physical a degradation, but quite the contrary. Spiritual is a degradation in the face of the infinite source, and you can't even use the word infinite because it's no more infinite than it's finite. It's no more finite than it's infinite. So in the source, in the essence of God, spirituality must be a degradation because it's the byproduct of symptom contraction. The only place where the essence completely expresses itself is in the physical, in the relationship between the Jew and God, God and the Jew, that which is the ultimate relationship, not one that we have earned, but one that God freely chose us for no other reason than He freely chose us, is in our body, not in our soul. All of a sudden, this month isn't just about body heat. All of a sudden, this month expresses the deepest relationship between God and a Jew and the Jew and God. And that's why the Kabbalistic interpretation of and the body enjoys the body, which simply means husband and wife, on the Kabbalistic term, it's talking about the ultimate relationship between the body of a Jew and the essence of God, its sole creator. Not symptom, not infinite light, not evolution, nothing. It's the essence-to-essence relationship. Which now brings us to a very practical approach of this month. The relationship between God and the Jew, and the Jew and God, in our service to God, is not where you feel good, not where you feel spiritual, not in your love for God, not in your fear of God, not in your faith in God. The ultimate relationship between God and a Jew and a Jew and God is going to express itself in what you're doing for God. Talk to me about how every morning you wake up, 4 a.m., sit yourself down on the 23rd floor balcony on the beach and meditate and wait for those glorious moments of sunrise where you feel so one with God. Tell me about the time when you hit the snooze button, you're such in a rush, you woke up, you ran out of bed, grabbed your sitter, physically articulated the words, you didn't even think what you were saying because you're in such a rush. If you're a male over 13, you got your feeling on and off, didn't even have time to wrap it up, just put it there under the towels, on the bed, promising yourself that you're going to wrap it up as minute you come home. You ran out the door, but you did put on your film, you did say the words, you did drop a quarter into the charity box, you did articulate the Shema Yisrael. Now we're talking connection. It seems so backwards to us. You mean to tell me the person that woke up 4.30 in the morning, prepared him or herself mentally, emotionally, spiritually on the porch, so cleansed his mind or her mind, emptied out all foreign passions from their heart 
so that it can be an open vessel for that moment of sunrise to be absolutely passionately in love with God. But just never said the word Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. Never took those leather boxes and actually put it on their hand, on their head, in the right spot, by the hairline, in between the eyes. So that isn't the ultimate connection. But the guy who flipped out of bed 10 minutes late, shot out of vulgarity because, oh my God, I'm late again, barely gets to wash himself, has a shirt on backwards, wraps on tefillin, off on in 60 seconds flat, mumbles the words, runs out the door, oh, God's smiling. Yeah, my friend. The month of Tavis. Let's get physical. Anything, anything that you share with God spiritually, anything that you feel for God metaphysically, emotionally, intellectually, must be a degradation in the face of God's infinite source and essence. What you offer God physically is amazing. Let me close tonight's lecture with a story of the Rebbe blessed memory. The Rebbe was 770 in his office. The air conditioning was broken. Those of you who have read or know or have ever been by the Rebbe, the Rebbe's air conditioning was always set at freezing. That's just the way the Rebbe physically liked it. The AC was broken and they brought in a non-Chabad religious Jew from Borough Park was an AC person. How he got the job, I don't know, but I'm just telling you a fact the way it is. And what happened? He sat there and he's working and the Rebbe's learning. The Rebbe, the Rebbe continues to learn. And as the Rebbe's sitting by his desk learning, he's fixing the AC and he's able to catch the Rebbe's attention and he asked the Rebbe, will the Rebbe please tell me a Dvar Torah, some words of Torah. The Rebbe said, no. Shabbos, by the Fabrengen. This guy wasn't stupid, and he told the Rebbe, I'm going to come home, I'm going to excitedly tell my son, do you know where I work today? He's going to ask me where. I'm going to say I worked in the office of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. My son, the yeshiva boy, the first thing out of his mouth is going to be, no, did you hear from the Rebbe words of Torah? What should I tell my son? The Rebbe liked what he said, and the Rebbe told him Advar Torah. This is the Vat Torah that the Rebbe told that Jew from Borough Park who fixed the air conditioning in the Rebbe's room. In the ancient prayers of Nishmat Kolchai, we say it on Shabbat Nechagim. We read over there, and if the clouds of the heavens turned into parchment, and if the oceans turned into ink, and it goes on and on with such beautiful metaphors, and then it says, with all that, we would not be able to even express one thousandth of a thousandth of a myriads of a thousandth of the glory of God. Then it goes on like this. Therefore, the tongue that you have placed within my mouth, the organs that you have placed within my body, I will praise you. The Rebbe asked a question. <laughs> he just went and said that if all the oceans and all the this and all the that, we would not be able to do a drop of a drop of a drop. Therefore, with the little insignificant me, I'm going to praise you. 
Where's the logic behind this prayer? And the Rebbe answered him with a metaphor. The Rebbe said how, explained to him how once there was a king that was on a hunting trip. And in the hunting trip, the king was a good hunter. Anyone with the king would just mess up his hunting trip because it would spook the animal. So he went alone. It got dark. And then the entourage is waiting for the king to come back. And the king is lost. The king cannot find his way back to his entourage. He can't find his way out of the forest. And he's lost. And there he is now, all alone, walking until he happens upon a little cabin. He knocks on the door of the cabin. The person opens up the door and he says, I am your king. He immediately takes in the king, cooks up whatever finest potatoes he has, takes his newest hay, turns it into some type of, excuse me, some type of pillow or mattress, goes ahead and does the best of what he has for the king. And the king understands this is the best that he has. And the king is so happy. And the next day, in the morning, he tells the king, my king, I'm going to show you the way out to the main road. As the king's about to leave from the forest onto the main road, the king turns around and says, you've treated me nicely and I want to give you something. But all I have with me hooked onto my belt is the thermos and the top is the cup for tea. Take it. That's all I have. Okay. Obviously, he cherishes it. He puts it into this place. Never uses it. It's the king's thermos. A year later, the king's on the way to his next hunting excursion. But this time, he remembers the guy who saved his life. And he sends a message that he's planning to come to that person's house to visit him in his home in order to pay back. And you saved my life. The guy gets the message and he's in terror mode. Oh my God, the king's coming. <laughs> what am I going to do? Last year where he happened upon me, lost in the forest, anything I gave him was perfect. But now the king's going to look at me. I told you I'm coming. This is the best you can prepare for me? I didn't just happen upon you. This is the best meal? This is the best stuff that you can give me? And the guy's walking through his whole little cabin thinking, what do I have that I can give the king? That the king, it wouldn't be a degradation for the king. You told me you're coming. You now expect me to prepare for your arrival. But what do I have? There's nothing that I have that I can afford, that I can get my hands on. That wouldn't be an absolute embarrassment and degradation to my king. Until he reminded himself, wait one second. The thermos came from the royal castle. So the thermos has to be worthy of the king. I got it from the king. And all he did for the king was set up a tea in the thermos and use the royal thermos and the royal cup to serve the king a cup of tea. Let's go back to our prayers. What do we have that's not an embarrassment and a degradation in glorifying God? The heavens, a degradation for God. The oceans, a degradation for God. What, what beautiful words can I come up to talk about God thinking I'm going to honor Him and little I did nothing more than embarrass Him. This is what you have to say about me? This is what I am? That's it? Until... The person realizes one second, look at the words in Nishmat Kolchai. 
The tongue which you have placed within my mouth. The only thing I can offer you that isn't a degradation is to serve you with that which came from the royal palace. And therefore, what do I have to serve you with is my physical organs, my physical body, which you, God Almighty, created and gave me. So were I to come up with some spiritual meditation for God, that would be a degradation. There's nothing I can think, feel, or say about God which would not be a, an embarrassment to the true infinite and beyond infinite and finite glory of God. And therefore, what's the only thing I can give God that wouldn't be an embarrassment and degradation is to give God that which His essence has given me. My physical body, my physical organs. And therefore, this month is really, the energy of this month is the ultimate relationship between God and I, I and God. It's about let's get physical. Don't tell me how much you love God. Don't tell me how much you're afraid of God. Don't tell me how much faith you have in God. Don't tell me how spiritual you are. Talk to me about what am I going to do? What am I physically going to do for God? Because that's what God gave me from His essence. And thus, that's the only thing I can give back that isn't an embarrassment before God. That's it for tonight, guys.